Good morning to you. It is our uh, Tuesday, January 16th uh, market call. Uh, as always, we would love to hear from you. There's our contact info. So let's just get uh, let's just get right into it. I giggle every time I see that meme. That uh, that has been just about right. You you know we argue all the time in the office. I love the the I, I love the winter. I love the snow. I'm not sure that these 30 to 40 below wind chills are my thing. Not uh, at all. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it has just been cold. You know, I think when you look at what's driving the markets, um, clearly that top bullet is and has been the thing. It has been the thing for two months. Um, it wasn't good two months ago. We had some very sketchy early growing season weather in Brazil. Uh, but that has kind of straightened out. And we did some damage. It's a matter of how much damage. I'll talk about that and at least the, some of the analyst expectations when I get to the soy complex slide. But generally speaking, South American weather has kind of turned off better, finally, uh, after a bit of a slow start. Uh, we got our January WASD uh, reports last week, uh, generally kind of neutral to bearish, I think. Uh, we will talk through the specifics of what we got out of that the whole actually wasn't just a report it was a whole list of reports we got the the WASD which included the final production numbers we got our D1 stocks uh, we got our winter wheat uh, acreage so uh, a lot of stuff to talk about that we'll take you through but I think the executive summary version is this yes it was bearish but I don't think we really I think I think the way to look at this is it's is it maybe accelerated us briefly in the direction that we were already heading, but it didn't necessarily change our overall point of view of where this market was going or from a price standpoint or from a, a, a balance sheet standpoint. Would that you think that'd be accurate? Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. <clears throat> Directionally directionally right it, it, it's it's kind of like remember we talked about covid kind of accelerated the whole trend of working from home advanced it five to ten years but probably didn't change the trend i think that that would be, be a good way to maybe look at uh look at this wasi uh crude oil market we've talked about this it, it seems to be finding support at 70 bucks not a big shocker the government has said that's probably where they that's where they plan to to refill the strategic petroleum reserve. So uh, that market is kind of acting like we thought it would. But I think that that's important to us, even if you don't buy crude oil barrels of the stuff, which nobody that we deal with does. It uh, kind of is it's that, that one of those big foundational commodities that kind of adds to support to a lot of commodities, particularly the vegetable market because of our renewable fuels program. So <laughs> of course, the polar vortex, um, uh, that has certainly done some uh, serious upward damage to short-term natural gas prices. We had heard a week ago when this was still kind of in the windshield, uh, this, this polar vortex of some outlandish spot premiums being paid uh, for nat gas. Got a customer that was talking about the, uh, the potential arbitrage of shutting a plant down and selling their natural gas that they had bought back onto the, not, it's not really the grid, but back onto the grid, if you will. Holy cow. Yeah, and they were talking specifically about the possibility of maybe some ethanol plants doing that because margins weren't so spiffy. So um, where's that? Well, I think it's gonna be in the rear view mirror pretty quick. Wait till I show you the six to 10, or Paige shows you the six to 10 and eight to 14 day forecasts. Uh, they make us, um, many of us in this office, very, very happy. So let's get into it. 
Talked about the report a little bit. I'll talk more about that here in a slide or two when I get to it. So enough about that. We got our CPI and PPI data for December. I would say generally seen by the market as continued good news. Uh, consumer prices, as expected, uh, up 3.4% in December. That's a year-over-year -year number, of course. It's about what was expected. A little bit of an uptick from uh, November, but... Again, kind of what uh, the market was looking for. You can see the core numbers higher there a little bit. So, uh, but again, I don't think there's anything in either one of those uh, than the market expected. Producer prices actually down a little bit. Have no idea why I have that lowercase n in front of 0.01%. Um, but it actually was down just a little bit and continues to show that um, prices are coming under control. <coughs> I think. I think that uh, at least from what I've been reading, the, the market, and maybe there's some hopium in this, hopium, the most addictive substance on the planet. Uh, there's some hope that with producer prices like this, producer prices move before consumer prices do. And that with producer prices, um, kind of the inflation kind of coming to heal a little bit that we will stop very quickly. We will, we will see this deceleration in, of inflation at the consumer level. So. Um, that's the hope. Uh, shipping costs, for those of you that are bringing stuff in from offshore, especially in containers, uh, we got a problem. As long as that, uh, that canal stays closed at the Red Sea. <clears throat> I don't think it's closed. Are, well, it's not closed. It's just a lot of people, rather than getting shot at, read this morning that there was a U.S. flagged vessel, a cargo vessel that was actually hit uh, in the Red Sea. Um, didn't hurt anybody. Um, didn't sink the ship. It turned around and went the other way. But um, we continue to have unrest in that part of the world. And I don't know what it's going to take to fix it, but uh, it takes longer. When it takes longer and you have a finite number of boats and finite number of, of uh, containers, uh, container freight goes up and it goes up a lot. And you can see there it's moving higher pretty quick. So anything else we need to add, do you think, uh, before I move on here? I think so. So there's your crude oil chart. You can see the big jump we had here. We all remember this, lived through it, um, filled our gas tanks with very expensive fuel. Uh, Nate, I think our diesel fuel, what did it get to five bucks or better, something like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a little ridiculous. We started taking oil out of the strategic petroleum reserve to try to control prices. But the government has said that they plan to refill at $70 and below. When we had this little tick here, these are this is a weekly chart. Uh, I think that was a week between Christmas and New Year. Uh, they actually stepped in and bought, uh, I think, three million barrels. Now that's a, a bit of a splash in the, uh, a bucket of water into the ocean, I guess. Uh, with I think we got what did they take up? We take 180 out, and we put three back in. But the, I think the point we're trying to make here is uh, the market has shown us that $70 is kind of going to be the floor. It doesn't go below 70 bucks for very far, buy very far, or stay there very long. And um, I'm also, as you know, a trend better. Uh, I will have a tendency to bet my own money uh, on a continuation of what we've can, uh, already seen. And I think that that's what the market's kind of been showing us here. So I think that's got some implications that I'll talk about a little bit more when I get to the soy complex slide. We got our WASD last week. Um, you look at the top left there, those are the production numbers. Uh, we told you last week that the, uh, the, the trend had been that each 
month as we've gone through this objective yield survey process that would start last started last August. Um, so September and October and November, we kind of saw the this trend of small improvements in yield and production, and uh, we saw the same thing again. So we got yield numbers. Remember, the trade was looking for virtually a reprint of the November production and yield numbers. We got a little bit small uptick. Uh, you can see there we found another two, two and a half bushels an acre of corn, uh, found another little bit better than a half a bushel an acre of beans, although they didn't take harvested area down on beans, I think. Uh, but still, you got better production numbers uh, on corn and beans. And if you look at the uh, the stocks numbers, where are these stocks? Uh, Straight below it, middle, left. That's that's uh, that's ending stocks. So there you go, bottom uh, bottom, bottom left. Yeah. Uh, stocks numbers were higher than trade expectations by almost exactly the same amount that the crop was bigger. So actually made perfect sense. I would argue that that really says that that was not a surprise on the stock side. We just found those extra bushels that we produced. Uh, by God, they're still in the checking account. So I think that's what we saw there. Scott, why don't you? I guess let me hit the world stuff here. Uh, you can see South America, um, USDA continues to kind of trail the play. They did reduce their corn, their corn and bean production numbers uh, in uh, Brazil, but not nearly as much as the trade. More on that in a second. Uh, this corn production number, um, <laughs> either the USDA is right or the rest of the market's right, because they're, they are miles apart. I'll show you some of the other estimates from uh, the, the, everybody else in the market when I get to the appropriate slide, but that's probably it for that, the corn and bean side of it. Scott, I know we got, uh, you talk about the, the stocks, but also I think the acreage numbers and what the implications might be there. Yeah, so uh, first on the stocks, you see lower left-hand corner, they were up, you know, 100 million bushels from a year ago, as well as being up, you know, 25, actually 23, um, uh, million bushels from what the guesses were going into it. Not a lot of news there. I guess it just makes us feel a little bit better um, <clears throat> about the, the overall situation. Bill is a little concerned maybe that, that there might be some um, uh, bigger implications specifically to hard red winter wheat uh, as time goes on. Um, I'm not as concerned. I'll leave it at that. I think our stock situation is is honestly about as good as we can uh, make it right now. On the winter wheat seedings, this is for the coming year. We were expecting to see uh, something in the neighborhood of just south of 36 million bushels. We did 36.7 a year ago. We came in at 34.4. That's down 6% <clears throat> from where we were a year ago. And, and uh, you know, that's uh, a little over 2 million, 2.2 million bushel or uh, acres rather lower than last year. Um, and, you know, a, a good bit lower than what the trade was looking for. The, the two that I'll peel out is uh, HRW and SRW. Both of them were, again, lower across the board, 6.4% lower on hard red winter and 6.8% lower on the soft red. Um, that uh, uh, 6.86 number for soft red, it's not the smallest that we've had in, in a while. We, we've had um, smaller numbers here um, uh, more recently, but if you look at a longer term trend, um, that's, that's a number that, that uh, 
it is, is perhaps smaller than, than it might be. Um, so we'll see what happens. Obviously, when, you know, once uh, we, we get to the actual spring, uh, spring conditions are, are really always the most important piece of the crop development is how the conditions uh, roll out. Weren't uh, you and Bill also talking, we, you guys talked about this, I think on the beers in the back, that with the very large abandonment acres in hardwood winter wheat last year because of the, 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 the pretty bad weather, uh, that we could actually end up harvesting as many acres, if not more than we harvested last year, if the weather stays good. Right, and I, I think Bill's kind of betting that trend, number one, and then the other thing he would bet too, we don't have these up here, but Bill has got, a trend line yield penciled in at this point, which on December or uh, January 16th, why would you put anything else in there? And if that's the case, you continue to build stocks this coming year. You have a actually a decent crop and you continue to build stocks. Um, the, the last thing, and we don't have too much of it up there, middle right is the world ending grain stocks. You see the ending stocks for the world went up almost 2 million tons and went up 1.8. We did raise production in the world by 2 million tons, added a million to Russia. I think USDA is still low. And they added a million tons to Ukraine. Uh, not sure. They're probably getting decent numbers out of Ukraine. Yeah, that's the same million tons. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I, I, again, I think that's another, um, you know, not something else that tells you I think we're in decent yeah. spot in the world. Yeah, look at that. Since you're talking about world grain stocks, look at that corn number. Um, that's that, a huge jump. That's a huge jump. If you if you peel a report apart, uh, USDA is forecasting record large world corn production, and that's with 50, 60 percent of a crop in the Ukraine. Um, you know, we mentioned, I think, on our first call of the new year that potentially one of those bearish things on the horizon would be that if they get this. Uh, if they get this war thing figured out and, and it didn't weren't, weren't there uh, discussions, didn't I hear you or someone talking yesterday about uh, potential peace talks? Yeah, I can't remember who reported it, but there was a wire report that yeah. Zelensky uh, had reached out to the Swiss um, and asked them that, hey, can you set up a, you know, can you set up a sit down, a meet, a meet and greet, a meet and greet? Yeah. So. At any rate, I, I think that, you know, we talked about this this overall direction that, you know, the market has fixed the corn problem, this tightness that we've had in the world for three years. It, it seems like the market's on the way to being much more comfortable with where we're at with the wheat side of things. One growing season away, maybe from getting the bean, the soy complex side of things fixed. So are we going to see prices continue lower and normalize that, as you know, has been our outlook? Uh, we're seeing it. I think now we're kind of with this WASDI in the rear or this this January set of reports in the rearview mirror. Um, I think that the two next questions that the two things that we'll be talking about here in the next handful of months are how far does it go? How far down can we go? And and then the second thing is, I, I guess a little bit later here, it's hard to talk about spring growing planting season when it's freaking 30 something below windchill outside. But uh, that will be uh, not that far out the windshield either that we'll be starting to talk about uh, acreage mixes. I think Bill mentioned on our beers in the back that um, in February, uh, about Valentine's Day-ish, we will get a little bit after that, we'll get the USDA's Outlook Conference. That is their first official slash unofficial uh, glimpse at acres. That's what the, the market will start looking at, I think, immediately is that acreage mix and 
uh, that's kind of gotten to be the unofficial kickoff of the how many acres are we going to plant season. So we'll see. We will see. Let's get into it here a little bit. Uh, again, corn, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to point out here is this. CONAB, which is the Brazilian USDA, is at 117.6. Uh, Cordonier is at 115 um, <clears throat> of uh, Brazilian corn production. Uh, I don't know what the hell, where the heck the USDA got that number. Uh, I think the big, the big hit that a lot of the analyst community, the reason there's so much below the USDA is that there's all this talk of we're going to lose all these acres, all these acres, all these acres. They're not going to plant the free corn crop. It was dry enough, early enough that we got some of the crop planted late, blah, blah, blah. I don't know I'm buying the crop planted late thing. I think a month or so ago, we showed you where the dry weather and the late planting was in Brazil, and it's not where they grow the safrina corn for the most part. So I'm not sure about that. The part that I guess I don't know about is the whole notion, and I know you have expressed skepticism about this, Scott, in the past, this whole notion that, well, Prices are low and they're dropping and farmers just aren't going to plant it because they're too low. Now, the price of the fertilizer is dropping just as fast. Farmers are farmers. Yeah. I, I, Even in I, Brazil, I think. Yeah, some of these, you know, I've seen numbers estimated as high as a 20% reduction in safrina corn planted area. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm throwing that, that red challenge flag on that one, I think. I don't think it's called the challenge flag in our business, but uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, at any rate, corn market continues to trend lower as we continue to get bearish news in the corn market, and the soy complex continues to trend lower. You can see IGC here is forecasting uh, global corn output up 6%, which would be a new record, uh, pretty, uh, pretty similar directionally anyway to what the USDA showed uh, as well. Scott, why don't you kind of take us through the wheat market here? Well... Uh, prices continued to fall. Uh, we've been falling. Remember last week we were talking about five and six week lows. Well, just tack another week to that. You had uh, uh, Chicago down 20 cents, a little over 3%. Kansas City, Minneapolis down 13 cents, uh, about 2%. Uh, and I won't go through the international prices. It's, you know, it, it's more of the same, I think. Um, if you took the, the USDA reports and specifically the acres first, well, that kind of leads you to be a little bullish. The stocks are about as expected. Um, I mentioned or Bill mentioned the hard red winter wheat stocks. Um, it kind of leaves you a, a little bit the other direction. And then with the world production that I mentioned up to, um, to 785 and better ending stocks, now I'm leaning back the other way. So uh, what was Bill's uh, deal on the um, beers in the back? I think I think he said sharply neutral or something like that. Yeah, I think it's that decidedly neutral. But over the long term, I think we're going to continue to grind lower. Well, yeah, I think I think his sentiment basically is uh, it's, it's easy to be bearish corn and he's bearish corn. It's easy to be bearish to the soy complex based on what we can see today and, and therefore bearish to the soy complex. On the face of it, wheat by itself is not necessarily all that bearish. It's simply that corn goes lower than the whole plateau uh, drops, and, and that's probably the thing that would cause the most bearish outlook, I, I think, on wheat. I think it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, and when you, when you tie that to really nothing 
on the fundamentally bullish side of the, the, the scenario. I mean, there's a few things over there, but man, I, I just today on January 16th, I have a hard time getting bullish. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, wait, yeah. the next slide, Dave. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's right. uh, I, I forgot all about it. We got to talk about winter kill. It's the law. That's right. It, it, we have to kill the crop at rules. least nine times. Uh, it's like a cat. You know, the, the wheat crop has nine lives. And, and uh, you know, we talked about taking one of them last week. I'm actually not sure that we did it. Um, that's a snow depth map. It's not the clearest map. I apologize. But um, take a look there at Kansas. Um, you, you've got pretty good coverage of about four inches of snow all the way across um, most of Kansas, save, you know, the far southern and southeastern part of it. Um, you even have a little bit of coverage uh, uh, there in, in Oklahoma, center, north central part of Oklahoma. That's going to be a very good thing with this big polar uh, vortex, Arctic blast, whatever you want to call it. That's going to provide um, uh, the insulating protection for those uh, tender little, you know, wheat plants that are in dormancy right now. So that's a very good thing. And the other thing that helps out with even when we get things to warm up, all that snow is going to be moisture at some point. Yep. Yep. You can see that the uh, the scale down here, uh, inches on the top, uh, as I heard someone say last week that I get a little bit uh, metric on the bottom for all those countries that, that haven't landed a man on the moon. Um, <laughs> so complex. This We talked about this last week, and we're starting to see it. The last two weeks, less oh, more than the last two weeks, but we've seen soybeans down, meals following soybeans down and maybe going down faster, and oil the last two weeks prior to last week had gone down, but boy, not very much. This week, oil broke. Uh, oil turned around and went higher. The other vegetables in the world market that I'll show you here in a second also went higher. Um, beans and meal continue to trend lower. Uh, the oil market, I think, with that $70 floor in crude oil, kind of is acting the way we had expected it to act. And that is, you guys go ahead. I don't think I can get a lot cheaper. We've got a positive renewable diesel margin by our math. Uh, not much positive, but a positive margin. I don't think with these big plants starting up, the market's going to allow that to stay for very long. So that's really the biggest news there. If you look at the, the estimates here, uh, I wanted to talk about this. You see Cordonier down another two. Uh, reading his wire this week, I think a lot of it had to do with he wanted to have the lowest number, uh, at least of the big analysts. And uh, he couldn't do that at 151 because you saw Agro went down here a little bit. Uh, Conab down, but still to a 155 number. Uh, the USDA is sitting here at 157, but the USDA is always, always trailing the play when it comes to South America. What is this crop? You know, I've said before, I think it's probably mid-150s, maybe a little bit better than that. Ah, boy, I'm getting to be where I don't have a lot of company, but maybe we're still there. I mean, we're only 2.3% harvested. So uh, all the doom and gloomers are saying, oh, these early harvest yields are terrible. Well, crap, we're just getting going. So... I was told a long time ago, uh, don't even look at early, don't even pay too much attention to early yields until you get at least a quarter of the way into the crop, into the harvest. So we'll see. We'll see if this doesn't get better. That would be my bias there. Here's the other thing I wanted to show you. And you got soybeans on top. This was last year's crop with that, uh, I mean, horrifically drought damaged Argentine crop, 199 million metric tons total South America. 
Cordonier's worst case scenario, and I would bet heavily the overs on that number, is still bigger than that. Um, and he's, you were still talking, you know, we were talking 30 million metric tons bigger than last year with trend yields. We're going to be 15 at minimum, probably, I think, maybe 20 something, a little over 20 million metric tons uh, larger uh, than last year. And I, I don't I don't see this being a really a huge problem. Clearly, the market with what bean prices are doing doesn't think it's a problem. Same thing with corn. Uh, we made a record corn crop in South America last year, and we're probably going to exceed that by a little bit. So that would be a record and that would be a record, um, uh, I, I believe, is where we're at. Now, the USDA, again, probably out in left field by themselves. But I think the broader picture here is doesn't necessarily change the outlook much. Palm up last week, canola seed prices up last week. Um, we can, we've talked at nauseum about this record spec position in canola seed futures. It got even bigger again, 48% uh, of open interest. I clearly have never seen anything like that in my entire life. So um, palm oil, I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, palm oil, as my palm oil buddy told me the other day, palm oil needs help from bean oil. Uh, bean oil maybe has stopped going down. Uh, not sure it's got enough oomph to get going up with beans falling as fast as they are, but uh, I suppose we shall see. Could the bean oil market be finding kind of a short-term plateau here? Could we have a little bit of a bounce? I suppose that wouldn't uh, wouldn't shock me. Even the worst markets, as I've been told, don't go straight down. So that's probably that for the uh, the grains and oil seeds complex. Jay, what is going on in the dairy front? Uh, good morning, Dave. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the dairy complex. So on the Friday uh, WASDE report, the USDA update, updated milk production numbers for 2024. I just want to go back to November, November of 2024. USDA, USDA at the time was forecasting a 1.3% increase in November. In the December report, that report lowered that number to 0.93% increase. And then in a January update last Friday, it came out to be 0.75. So right, the question becomes, so USDA is lowering milk production in 2024, and what are the drivers for that? So the USDA, USDA report is looking for reduced cow numbers and an output reduction on a per cow basis. Now, the dairy herd has been contracting for some time, um, but it's been outpaced by the output per cow. So a little bit of a change there from the USDA perspective in the reduction in, in the output per cow. So at the end of the month, we're gonna get a cattle report on January 31st, which will tell us how heifer retention is doing in the dairy herd. Our producers, retaining cows, female cows for breeding purposes, or are they continuing their reduction of the herd overall? So the reason I bring this forward is when we look at 2024, forecasts are calling for lower milk production in the US, in New Zealand, in Europe. If you get lower milk production, then you look and translate that over into products, Cheese, we're getting new cheese plants opening up in 24 and 2025. We're not getting new butter plants built in 24 and 25. In fact, there's very little um, capital investment in butter plants. In fact, there's probably a reduction in overall capacity for butter. 
So when you bundle that all together in 2024, if we're going to have lower milk production driven by lower cow numbers, lower yield per cow, we're going to get a seasonal increase in milk production like we, we always do. March, April, May is when seasonal milk increases and then starts to decline going into Q3 and Q4. You really got to be careful going forward. So again, from a risk management perspective, I think we're going to get some of our lowest prices, product prices in Q1, Q2, like we normally do. And then the risk really comes in Q3 and Q4. If we get the reduction in milk production, like uh, forecasters are calling for, private forecasters and USDA. So just a big call out for 2024 going forward. Again, there's an old adage in the dairy industry. If you build it, they will come, i.e. as these big cheese plants have been built under the premise that they're going to pull milk. And the, the dairy industry and producers are going to respond to that by increasing milk production. But right now, forecasters are all calling for lower milk production year over year. So if it becomes to if it comes out that way, you're going to see milk pull more to cheese than to butter. Cheese pricing more than likely go down. Butter prices go up. So just a big call out, high level 2024. Uh, the dairy risk is uh, again. It seems to be from what you're telling me, back half of the year, and it's probably much more on the butter side of things than really the cheese side of things. I, I think so very much so. So <clears throat> some of the cheese uh, manufacturers I talked to that have invested these capital in these plants, I've asked them about sourcing for milk and, and butter fat, and they said, Jay, we're going to pull that no matter what. So yep. I, I we're going to pay whatever it takes to get the milk we want, which if milk production is going lower, it's got to come from somewhere. And yep. the victim in this scenario is exactly right. It's probably more than likely butter. Yeah. On a global basis, it almost sounds like some of these uh, less than stellar, let's just say, milk production estimates are kind of being balanced off by pretty poor demand from the China Chinese. Yes. Um, yeah. the, the, and they're, as always, in a lot of markets, kind of the big hammer in that that import market. So, yeah. all right. It's it's the side of the uh, supply and demand equation that's really hard to quantify in dairy. You know, what is the demand going to take? We do a good job on supply. We can count the number of cows and how much milk they produce per cow. But at the end of the day, what is consumption going to look like? Mm, it's a big toss up right now. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Jay. Uh, mm -hmm. And as we do every week, we have saved the best for last. Uh, Paige, what can you tell us about the weather? I'm going to start with that map just because I like the way it looks. Yeah, start with this map so we can all look that it's going to um, it's going to get warmer because currently it is frigid over here. It, it wouldn't that... take much to get warmer. <laughs> no. Right. I was going to say the sad part is, is it already has gotten warmer and it's still probably negative something. Um, I, sent, I sent my hunting buddies that six to ten day temperature map. And I said, let's go kill some deer. And then I sent the picture of the map and I said, dot, 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 in six to 10 days. Yeah. So for reference, for those of you who are not in the Midwest, um, I just popped open my weather app. It's currently negative 10 with a real feel of negative 14. And I am not joking when I say that that is warmed up from the last couple of days. Definitely. Uh, 
Yeah, so a lot of the Midwest got hit with this big snowstorm and polar vortex, which sounds about as scary as it feels. It's frigid out here. Um, But to Dave's point, looks like things should be warming up in the next week. Again, to Scott's point, that's not exactly hard to do when you're this flippin' cold. But looks to be looking up in the 6 to 10 and the 8 to 14 day. So that's kind of better news for us here in the Midwest um, when we switch gears here and start looking to South America. Um, again, weather still seems to be sticking around the rainy um, weather that has been moving through. Still looking at some widespread heavy rains across central Brazil. They kind of dissipate a little bit the farther east you go. Um Southern Brazil has now been dry for a while. Um, They honestly might be back to the point where they could use some more rains after all of their flooding early season um, has seemed to shut off. Looks like some heavier rains across Argentina as well. All of the Argentine rains have been um, very helpful, not overly helpful when it comes to planting, um, but it's really setting those crops up pretty well. I think in this week's Cordonier wire, the reductions he made in Brazil looks like they came back into Argentina. So he's taking the Brazilian crops down um, for reasons I'm still not super convinced on, um, but he's taking the Argentine crops up because of all of this rain. The rains in Argentina just kind of started early enough to really hit the majority of the growing season for a lot of these crops where it started really slow up in Brazil. And I would think that's kind of why he has reduced his Brazilian numbers a little bit. It does seem interesting that he took them down again this week to me, though, since we have had good rains the past past handful of weeks, really. Um, seems like everyone has kind of lowered their estimates, and so he also kind of wanted to get in on that on that trend a little bit. I think he's below a lot of market expectations. So were you going to say something, Dave? Well, yeah, I think uh, one of the things I was going to make sure I added in here is um, I think with, with Bill, I think Bill sent the article about the El Nino is trending away and almost all the forecasting community is saying that it's going to be gone. My flippant <laughs> response was, uh, what, what's the over under on how long it'll be before we're talking about another La Nina? But I think the, mm-hmm. the, the main point here is with the El Nino dissipating, I think that removes some risks in several markets. Um, I think it tells us that the likelihood of the uh, Brazilian rainy season being much more normal in its conclusion, which would be out into May, uh, is is more likely. Uh, I think it also would indicate to us that uh, it's La Nina that really gives you problems in Argentina. And this this crop will be long since harvested before we would get to a La Nina, if in fact we ever go all the way that way again. So um, I, I think that that's a bit of news too that would tell us maybe um, famous last words, knock on wood, but that we shouldn't maybe be too concerned about the rest of the season uh, mm. down south. Yeah. And especially when you look at the <clears throat> forecasts out forward, um, there's not a whole lot of change. The biggest change, honestly, in the forecast this week is some of the rain that Argentina has been getting has been taken out. 
Um, again, not worrisome at this point since they have been getting good widespread rains across um, majority of their growing regions. So that's not really anything to worry about. And you look at Brazil and they're still maybe some of the heavier rains have dissipated in the seven day, but it looks like they're coming back in the 14 day yep. and moving a little bit farther east, which I know that should help the coffee crop a little bit. Not that a lot of people on this call probably care about the coffee crop, but <laughs> it looks like decent rains for the seven and 14 day across Brazil. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, as always, we would love to hear from you. And as always in these crazy commodity times, be careful out there.